One thing is certain, the world is forever moving forward, and with it people, whoever and wherever they are. For Audi, the future represents a vision to innovate. Driven by the pursuit of progress, Audi regards the future as a guiding philosophy, replete with opportunities and bursting with potential. At Audi, the future is more than a measurement of time, it's an attitude. Join us for The Art of Moving Forward, a series that delves deep into the notion of progress and introduces the people shaping the world that's yet to come. Last time on The Art of Moving Forward, we began our journey in Ingolstadt at Audi's HQ. We met Mark Lichter, Audi's head of design, to learn more about the synergy between his design philosophy and the principles Audi cars are world famous for embodying. We're rejoining Mark this week as he explains what went into Audi's remarkable new vehicle, the e-tron GT. It's a car that's sending shockwaves through the industry, one that stands to change the landscape of personal transport for good. For Mark, electric vehicles, or EVs, represent a new and thrilling frontier as new possibilities open up new avenues for progressive design. On an EV, for us designers, we've got a lot more freedom. For example... The heart of the car is not the combustion engine anymore. The heart of the car is the battery pack, which is located in the floor. To create the space for the battery, the wheelbase is getting longer, which is perfect. As a designer, I was always catching cars, big wheels, short O-rings. That's exactly happening right now. So more freedom, a lot more flexibility in the interior, and the proportions are becoming exactly like dream proportions, I have to say. You know, as a young boy, I always catching cars with big wheels, Short overhangs, wide body, low cabin. This is exactly happening right now. It's relatively easy to integrate a battery pack in an SUV. That's why many of the first EVs which are in the market are SUVs. But the biggest challenge is to integrate a battery pack in a low-floor car. Like, for example, the e-tron GT. Don't forget, there is a huge battery pack located in the floor and there are seats on top of it. For truly great designers, challenges such as this represent nothing more than opportunities to find solutions that will ripple out and influence across and beyond their field. So how did Mark and his team in Ingolstadt embrace this challenge with the e-tron GT? What we did is, and this was a huge challenge, but the result is awesome. The basis for a good design are the proportions, and the proportions are defined by the package. And the package of the e-tron GT is brilliant because... Huge battery pack. It's a real four-seater. Even a tall guy like me have enough head clearance in the heck, which is from the outside. It's, you cannot see that this is a real four-seater. And the result is that the overall height of this car is two and a half inch, so seven centimeters less than an A7. And I, don't get me wrong, A7 is an attractive low car. So this was the biggest challenge. For me, the e GT is a supercar because it has proportions like a super sports car. It's super low, super wide. I did many cars, more than 100 altogether at VW and here at Audi with my team. But I never did a car like the e For me, it's really once-a-lifetime opportunity to design a car like this. And it is for me a super sports car, but combined with the usability of a real four-seater. This usability represents a paradigm shift in how manufacturers and consumers understand the vehicles poised to carry humanity into a more sustainable future. But the e-tron GT doesn't simply represent a triumph in engineering, it represents a bold new direction for design. So, what was the brief? The biggest challenge was most attractive Audi ever. That was a brief. 
and functional. It has to be functional. How did Mark and his team set about engaging with it? We come up with, with details which we like to, to feature in the exterior. As you know, aerodynamics are very important for an EV because it's increasing the range. Before we start sketching the e-tron GT, we went to the wind tunnel with the designers, with the engineers. We spent there a few weeks and we shaped the body of the car in the wind tunnel. So that's why this greenhouse is that streamlined, it's getting very narrow to the back, which is, makes the car sexy as well, you know. A narrow cabin sitting on a wide body. And by the way, it's very effective for the aerodynamics. Then we came up with details like air curtains. There is an air intake on a, on a bumper, which the air goes in, runs through the wheelhouse, and it's behind it goes out. And these details, we came up with the idea that this could become design principles. So the Ixon GT is really completely new design, design in, in terms of design aesthetic, you know, because in the past, the sports car, an RS model, has big air intakes because there's a big engine. There is no big engine. There's, a, there's an electric motor. That's why we really, we designed this car in the wind tunnel. What then does the e-tron GT represent to Audi as a brand? Last time, we learned all about aesthetic intelligence, the design philosophy that underscores Audi's progressive approach. Where does the e-tron GT lead? This is introducing the next step in our design language. Before we start sketching a car, we do a design strategy, a philosophy, on, on a piece of paper. This is definitely is, is introducing direction, the future language for the next three or four years. It's an impressive vision for the future, but how does it reflect Audi's other key commitment to premium mobility? Premium mobility, you know, that it's changing completely. I would say sustainability is the most important topic. Everybody in Audi is driven by progress. Today, our customers, they're ordering leather. Leather is one premium detail in the interior. And in the future, this will be changed, like I said. Our idea is that we offer, and we will offer this with each on GT, a complete leather-free interior. So that means the seats are covered with a fabric. And in the past, as you know, the entry level was a fabric seat. But this fabric is that sophisticated, so the seats look... Unbelievable. I tell you, this will be the new leather in the future. And I'm 100% sure that the world is changing and our customers, this will be a big success. And this shows a little bit our attitude, how we want to create and design the future. We've heard a lot about the progressive principles that set the e-tron GT apart. But beyond that, what makes this vehicle so special in the field of electronic mobility? This car is breathtaking. You know, it starts with a proportion. It starts with the performance, you know, it's unbelievably fast. It's one of the fastest cars we ever developed. Usually a sports car is only a two-seater. This is a car, it's a real four-seater, so you can use this it's every day. It looks awesome. It's bre I think it's breathtaking, the proportions. That will be our brand shape, I'm 100% sure. It shows exactly our vision of future mobility, and it shows how emotional Audi design will become. Mark Lichter, Audi's head of design there. Later on today, we'll continue our investigation into advancing design as we meet Paula Scher, a graphic designer whose work has broken and reformed her industry's values and conventions. Ahead of that, we'll learn more about the e-tron GT as we hear from Alexander Breuer, the ramp-up manager at its Bullingerhofer manufacturing plant. That's coming up just after this. Welcome back to The Art of Moving Forward. Today we're asking how Audi is advancing design across the whole automotive industry with its groundbreaking new vehicle, the e-tron GT. We've just heard from Mark Lichter, Audi's head of design, whose enthusiasm for his work and passion for Audi's progressive design principles have been instrumental in developing the new e-car. 
But how are those breathtaking design ambitions realised? The Audi Design Centre is filled with designers turning creativity into innovation. Once their ideas progress from brainwave to CAD, it's up to the alchemists in the Bullinger Hoefer production facility to translate these designs into physical vehicles. The ramp-up manager is Alexander Breuer. Here he is. We have a rather small batch production here at Bullinger Hoefer. It's different to the other plants we have, like for the A4, A6 or Q5, which are meant for higher volumes. So we have longer cycle times. We have way more parts assembled within one single cycle. And so our co-workers also need to do a lot of their work steps of the assembly by heart. And the E20T really requires that. Our craftsmen and craftswomen are used to this environment. And so the E20T just fitted perfectly within the existing production site of the Audi R8. When the plant was inaugurated in 2014, it was already meant to be a really flexible and technologically advanced production site. So from the very beginning, we have been using these driverless transport vehicles you might have seen, which manage the flow of the assembly line. We benefited from this flexibility during the integration because due to these driverless transport vehicles, the integration was just much easier than it would be with a classic conveyor belt, for example. How was the Bullingerhofer plant adapted to facilitate the production of the new e-tron GT? We have two completely different cars, and due to that fact, we integrated a second, another body shop within the existing halls. And that one is completely different to the R8's one. And it's mostly automated by 85%, more or less. So there are two separated body shops, but in the assembly, the e-tron GT and the R8 share the same line, which is unique within the group. Talking of the assembly, we extended the assembly line by 20 cycles. And we also built a new logistic hall. And beside the hard facts, we have been adding new fields of expertise in electrification, automation, and also digitalization. I'm proud to say that the skilled craftsmanship from the previous facility has been retained and on the same time is supplemented by digital processes and smart technologies. So what do these new smart technologies look like and how are they instrumental in manufacturing the new vehicle? To give you some examples, starting with the body shop, where the chassis of the E20T is produced. The two-way framer is the workstation where the biggest parts of the car are being joined, which is the inner side of the chassis and the outer side. Usually you would have different workstations to join these two parts together, but here we have all the steps in one single station. So we have 10 robots and 32 different tools and these robots can interact with the tools by themselves. So they can change the tools automatically. And so we screw, we clinch, uh, we clamp, and we also weld in one single workstation. And it's called two-way frame because we run through that workstation twice. The first cycle, we join the inner side of the car, and the second cycle, the outer side. Another example is a so-called correlation-free measurement. Basically, it's an inline measuring method. So every car which runs through our production is measured inside that workstation. 
and we have two measuring heads and these two heads meter 350 different metering points. These heads can detect deviations down to 0.2 millimeters, which is, uh, to give an example, like four times the thickness of a human hair. So really small. That's the maximum deviation we could have actually in the body because they will be detected by these cameras and these measuring hats. So we have a high accuracy of the measurement. And the cool thing about it is that we are really able to react on any deviation and then correct it for the very next body. And it's so exact, that measurement, that we actually do not need a second measurement for correlation for some of the cars to make sure that we are measuring the right way. It's remarkable precision and the synergy between smart technologies and immaculate craftsmanship that sets the e-tron GT apart. But how is this exemplified in the assembly process? What's cool about now the integration of the e-tron GT is that we combined the driverless transport vehicles with a so-called overhead conveyor rail. So we have a transition station where the chassis are transitioned from the driverless transport vehicle to that conveyor rail. And later on, it's given back again. The end of the course is being finished on the driverless transport vehicles. Beside that, inside our assembly line, we have a human-robot cooperation. So we have a, a robot really inside the line without any security cage around it. Our employees are working hand-in-hand hand with this robot. It's used for the assembly of the windshield. So the robot is applying the adhesive really accurate and precisely. And afterwards, our employees take over and fit the windshield to the body with extreme precision. So it's really hand-in-hand. Hand. It's a cool thing we have here. It's an impeccably choreographed dance between robot and human. Audi has also benefited from new VR technologies when designing the production. But how? What we did here is that we scanned the entire whole space of the production side of the logistics and assembly, and then we mapped it into a virtual space. We were able to simulate the assembly processes and the associated logistic processes for the first time purely virtually. People do not need to travel to meet physically at a certain point to check out the assembly steps. We did not need a single physical prototype in the ramp-up of the Etron GT. And that's important for us because it saves a lot of resources. We did not need to build up that car. It also saves a lot of time. Another benefit is that what we did here in this small batch environment, for the first time we tested out the technology and proved that it really works. And now we're rolling out that process to the whole group. So testing small batch environment, and afterwards the entire group benefits from it. As we heard from Mark Lichter, the e-tron GT is set to impact the course of Audi's vehicle design for at least the next three years. As Alexander has just explained, the manufacturing process is also primed to inform techniques employed in plants around the world. It's a process that represents a landmark in the realisation of progressive design. But what about sustainability? Yeah, I'm proud to say we have a combined heat and power plant fired with biogas to provide the heat required for production at Berliner Höfe. And in early 2020, the entire Neckarsohm site 
began using exclusively eco-electricity. Alexander Breuer there. Today we've learned about the boundary-pushing new e-tron GT, the challenge it's posed for Audi's design team and the further challenge of realising the vehicle on the production line. It's a gear shift for the sector as a whole, an advancement in design and manufacture that will inform the industry. This iconoclasm, a willingness to challenge norms and conventions in pursuit of progress, also defines the work of our next guest, legendary graphic designer Paula Scher. We'll be hearing from her after this. Welcome back to The Art of Moving Forward. As we've just heard, true progress lies at the heart of the interplay between creativity and innovation, a questioning attitude that's brought forth Audi's new game-changing vehicle. Paula Scher is a graphic designer whose work has changed the industry. Her work is familiar around the world, while her holistic approach has reformed graphic design's conventions. So how does Paula define progress? There's all forms of progress. There's personal progress. There's progress for society. There's progress in small individual areas of business and government. But to me, progress is elevating whatever that situation is, improving whatever that situation is. I found out, I don't know, 20 years ago that I could do more important work in many ways designing a parking garage than a museum because a museum was already mostly good and parking garages were terrible. So that if you're talking about making progress, sometimes what you're talking about is where the progress needs to be made. Where does this philosophy appear in her work? If I have a client who's, say, a commercial client, and they're coming to me to improve their identity because they're selling something or other, my goal is to look at the milieu in which they live in and figure out how I can make that milieu more intelligent, more responsible, improve it in all ways it can be improved. And that makes the job interesting for me and gives the client a better result. If I look to do what everybody else does and try to be exactly in the center of that, that might make them happier and challenge them less, but generally I try to do their former. In my own attitude about my own work is that I try to make some form of breakthrough or discovery every so often you know, in a period of six months, hopefully, that there's something where I do something in a different way than I would have expected doing it and be pleased with the outcome. That constant search for new solutions to new challenges characterises the advancement of truly progressive design. It's innovation in its purest form. But can it be distinguished from creativity? Innovation is invention, generally, and it's hard to invent anything really new as a designer, what you can do is build upon the ideas of others or take something down a direction. I usually find that I get make most of my innovations by making some disastrous mistake that becomes a discovery. And that usually it's in failure and errors where I make some kind of innovation. If you do what you already know how to do, you have no ability to innovate because you already know how to do it. So you have to do what you don't know how to do, which means you have to make some big, ugly, terrible things to make a discovery through it. Sometimes I do that because it pushes a territory and makes everybody very uncomfortable. 
I discovered this myself that as a designer and looking at art history books of design, I would discover that if I thought something is great in the book, you know, a period of design, that would be probably what I was about to look at and do. If I thought it was tired, it was because it was something I was already doing. And if I thought it was too ugly, it was something I would be doing in five years. <laughs> you know, that there's sort of an ability to look at things and relate to them and look at things and be challenged by them. So what is Paula's singular approach to design? What's her process? It's a combination of, I think, impulse and analysis. I listen and look to how somebody is describing what they need. Sometimes they don't need what they think they need. Sometimes they are describing the wrong thing. Sometimes they know what they need, but they're afraid to do it. You know, all sorts of things. Sometimes they're in a structure if they're in a corporation that dehumanizes their own individuality to the extent that they can't even describe what they need to do. Sometimes they overcomplicate it, all sorts of things. Sort of like being a doctor, and I'll even say to a client when they come in, they show me something that they had done previously and they're afraid to show me because they think it's terrible. And I, I always say, uh, you know, I feel like a, you know, a dermatologist because whatever you've got, I've seen worse. And that's sort of my description to them because people come to improve something, but they don't quite know how to do it. And my job is to try to first figure out not just why they're coming to see me, but what their expectations are of them. And I just, I generally find that their expectations are really not very high and that that they can they can demand and get more. And so it's my job to inspire them to that and to help them learn how to see. My goal is to sort of elevate the expectation of what the things that we design can be so that there are greater possibilities that people might think about things different ways. I mean, if you consider how just advertising has moved in the, in the past 20 years from being really a verbal form to a visual form, and how people can recognize things now, like ordinary people recognize typography. They don't need a logo to recognize it. They can see a word in your typeface and know what company it is or what school it is. I mean, that's amazing. Designers did that. Many thanks to Paula Scher. That's all we've got time for on this week's edition of The Art of Moving Forward. Today, we've learned how innovation and vision can be harnessed in the pursuit of progress and how they come together over objects of design that stand to reshape how people do things around the world. Join us next time as we explore future function and learn more about what the future of mobility means for the cities we call home. You can find out more at monocle.com or catch up anytime on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, goodbye and thanks for being with us. Further information on official fuel consumption figures and the official specific CO2 emissions of new passenger cars can be found in the guide Information on the Fuel Consumption, CO2 Emissions and Electricity Consumption of New Cars, which is available free of charge at all sales dealerships and from DAT Deutsche Automobile, Treuhand GmbH, Helmut Hertzstrasse 1, 73760, Offildernschwanhausen, Germany. www.dat.de Audi e-tron GT Quattro Power consumption combined, 19.6 to 18.8 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers, NEDC. 21.6 to 19.9 kilowatt hours per 100 kilometers, WLTP. CO2 emissions combined, 0 grams per kilometer.